Thank you, worship team. Um, I, Bobby met with me this week, and I just came back from vacation. He met with me, and he said, uh, hey, while you were gone, we did that song, and there's another in the fire. And I instantly went into my flesh and became angry because I had been working really hard to sing that song, and then I didn't get to sing it. And so, uh, yeah, I know, poor me. Let's have a pity party, right? But it did feel bad. I'm like, doggone, I wanted to really do that song. He goes, what are we doing again this week? I go, I'm preaching. I don't get to be on the team again. So we'll, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. But it sounded great. I love that song. There's another in the fire. Um, it always reminds you of this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? There, wait, there's, we only put three in there. How come there's four in there? Oh, because there's another in the fire. And... Um, I'm thankful this morning that there was another that went to the cross for me. I said, I'm thankful that there was another that went to the cross for us. Amen? Amen. Um, we're in chapter 12 of John. We're just going to get right into it because there's a whole bunch here I need to cover. And I'm going to start with, uh, we're in chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 17. I know that Paul preached on this last week, but I'm going to pick that up and bring it back into the passage that we're doing today. Um, our title is, um, basically we are calling this the Transitions of the Cross. Transitions of the Cross. And um, if you stay with me just long enough, I think you'll see what I'm talking about, okay? So let's, let's start right here, though, with 17. And we'll read through. I'm going to read through the whole section of Scripture, then we'll walk back through it. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to, to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice, a voice came out of the heavens. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. Walk while you... Oh, excuse me. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. We're going to start with those first three verses from last week. We're going to walk our way through. It's our first point. There's a rejection of Christ as Messiah by the people and the leadership in these verses. Verses 17 through 19. Look at this. So the people 
who were with him, we're going to read it again. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. No problem there, is there? Aren't we supposed to testify about him? Well, they're just testifying about him. Seems like pretty good news to me. For this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. That doesn't seem too bad either. Oh, but wait a minute. Why were they going to him? Because he had raised Lazarus. Not because they were recognizing him as Messiah. They were once again rejecting him as the Messiah. So when we look at what John, the book of John, what we've come through so far to get here, there's been so many rejections. There's been an acknowledgement of the miracles. There's been an acknowledgement that he turned water into wine, that he could turn fishes and loaves into a multiple amount so that he could feed multiple people. There's been a lot of acknowledgement there, but no one has yet from the Jewish community said, this is the Messiah. They continue to reject him. They just continue to reject him. This is the final rejection that takes place during his ministry because he's going to go into, I won't call it hiding, but that's basically what he's going to do. He's going to go off the scene now after this. So we call that the final rejection. And he's also rejected by the leadership. If you take a look at verse 19 there, they are not acknowledging him for who he is either. When they say that, um, I'm looking here. When they say, so the Pharisees said to one another, when John says this, he says, you see that you are not doing any good. They wanted, if you'll recall, coming in Jerusalem, when he left Jerusalem, they were trying to kill him. And they kind of had like hitmen out there. They're like, hey, find him. If we can find him, we'll arrest him and we'll kill him. But they could never do that. The Lord kept protecting him along the way. So now he's coming back into Jerusalem and they see all the world is all around him and testifying about him. And they're like, okay, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. That's a little bit of a prophetic statement they're saying there actually. Because the world is going to go after him. A little bit, the next verse here, verse 20. We're going to see that. So that's the transition thing I want to talk about is verse 20. It's the transition that I saw in the passage. And um, it, it brings us right here. The big transition that I want you to see is a transition from Israel, from the Jews to the Gentiles. So look at verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Notice the transition. We've gone from Christ pretty much just dealing with the Jewish community and now there were some Greeks that want to see Jesus. And that becomes a part of this passage. And so the initial reception by the Gentiles, they want to see Jesus. They want to go up and see him. And so you might say that these will be the first fruits of the church, these Gentiles. Now the church hasn't started yet. I know that hasn't happened because Christ hasn't died yet. But we're kind of projecting that these guys, these Greeks would have been wanting to have the knowledge of who Jesus is. They wanted to ask him some questions, do that type of thing. And remember this, real quick. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go to the temple and get inside the temple where Jesus was. There was an outer court that was set up for the Greeks. These guys that were approaching him were what they would call a proselyte. They feared God, and they feared the true God. They'd given up pagan gods to follow after the true God of the Jewish nation, the Israelites. So they probably had to go through some trainings and things like that to change their religious beliefs. So they called them a proselyte. So they were Jewish in the sense that they, had, they were practicing Judaism, but they weren't true Jewish. So they weren't allowed to the inner circle. That's why they're approaching uh, Philip and Andrew here to see if they can get an audience with Jesus. Okay, So they, they realize we can't get to him, but we want to get to him. And there's a contrast here. The Jewish people reject. They want nothing to do with him. 
How much of a rejection? Well, the same people that welcomed him over here in chapter 12 earlier on the triumphal entry, Hosanna to the King of Kings, blessed be the name of the, that, they're going to also be the same people in chapter 19 that say crucify him. That's how much they reject him. But the Greeks are saying, we want an audience with him. We want to know more about him. We want to ask him some questions. We've been hearing a lot of wonderful things about him, but we want to get an audience with him. So that's what's taking place here, and this is where I think the transition starts to happen. Because in Scripture, it says that all nations will be together. The Jew and the Gentile will be together in heaven. They'll accept Christ. In John 4, in John 4 Jesus first revealed his Messiahship to a Samaritan woman. Didn't he? Is she, a, is she Jewish? No, she's a Samaritan woman. She might have been half Jewish, but she wasn't a full Jewish in the, in the way that they would have required. So Christ himself goes to the Greek and to the Gentiles. Guess what? When we say Greeks or Gentiles, you guys know who that is, don't you? That's you. That's you. You're the Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish here with us, which I know we have a few, but unless you're Jewish, you're the Gentiles. You're the one that you want to be included in this. You're the one that says, I've been following after the God that the Jewish people are following after, and I think this guy might be the Messiah. I got some questions I want to ask him. So that's why they approach. And I saw this and when I was studying this, and I'm like, man, there seems like there's a transition here that happens. There's a, there's a definite break-off from one to the other. And uh, so I had to look at several commentaries, and I found some commentaries that backed me up on that, so I feel like I could preach it. <laughs> and so that's what I'm doing. But I think the passage itself speaks for itself that lets us know that too. So when they came, uh, they, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida and of, of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to have an audience with him. We'd like to get in his presence. We can't walk right into the court by ourselves, or we'll get, they'd stone him or throw him out of the building. And it's interesting, I was going to say, uh, I was talking to my wife about this, because, you know, all of us pastors preach our sermon to our wife first, typically. And so um, I was telling her about these courts, and she said, Man, it'd be great if you had a picture of that. And I said, Honey... I don't have a picture of that, but that is a good idea. Maybe next time. But on the outer court, you would have the Greeks or the Gentiles. They would be able to get to the outer court. The next court, the middle court, would have been where the women were. The Jewish women would have been in that next court. Sorry, women. That's just the way it was in those days. And then that very inner court was where the actual Pharisees and the different uh, studiers of scripture and what would be in that inner court of the temple and so um, why did they go to Philip and why did Philip go to Andrew and my best answer for that is I have absolutely no idea because it's really not clear there are some summations there's some ideal ideologies that maybe like for instance the name Philip was probably a Greek name it would have been considered a Greek name well, that might have given them a little bit of a comfort to go and talk to him. You know, as Greeks, they could go to a guy, hey, he's got the same kind of name we have. We can actually go talk with him and see if we can get an audience with Jesus. And so um, that's, and if you got something else on that, let me know. But everywhere I looked, I didn't see any solid reason why it went that direction. So that's what I came up with looking at it. But I think Andrew was utilized because he, had a, he, had a, he was close to Christ himself. He was on that inner circle. So he could set that up so they could see him. So Philip went to Andrew, Andrew and then they all went. It, it appears in the scripture from what we can detect that they all went to Christ in that inner circle. They actually brought those men there. The Gentiles were actually in the presence of Christ there. Um, so... And, and then there's a question, well, did he receive them? That was a question that, that some would have. Maybe you might have that same question. Did he actually let them come? And, and so um, I, I looked at John 6, 37, and he said, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn him away. 
anyone that wants an, uh, that audience with me, I won't turn them away. And so that's kind of a, one of the things I built on to say, I believe that's what really happened. I believe they took as they came along. And um, that's the transition that's taking place. So we, um, we go from rejection, the final rejection from the Jewish people and their leaders. And um, we go to the initial reception. And that is uh, where we're at. So in verse 23, this is where I titled this little section, A Provision for All. There's a provision for all. Not just the Jewish, and not the Gentiles only, but for all. And here's what he says there. And Jesus answered them saying, this is a very interesting thing. When you look at the passage, where's the question? Do you guys see a question there before Jesus answered them? I don't. I don't see a question there at all. I see that they wanted to come to the Lord and ask him questions. The Greeks did. But now he answers. And I'm like, what's he answering? They, and that's another reason that scholars will tell you they believe that they actually were in his presence. All right? So it's a very significant statement that comes out of his mouth when he does answer. Let's, let's read it. And Jesus answered them saying this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the first time in the book of John that Jesus has spoken about the hour being now. It's always been, it's not yet time. The hour is not yet here. This is the first time, and I found it very interesting that he's doing that with a Greek audience. They're in the room with him. They're at least in an area where they can hear him say this. Probably all the disciples heard him say this. Everybody around him probably heard him say this. But he had always spoken about the hour to come, but now he said, no, the hour is now. It's right now. Because, you know, he is in the final week of his life on earth. He's on the final week. This is probably a Tuesday, is what we're assuming. So, um, so this term son of man is big too. It's huge. They, who he was talking to, these scholars that he was with, these Jewish audience that he was with, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. And in the Old Testament scriptures, in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, there's a passage there that talks about the Son of Man, and it, that Son of Man has the connotation of Messiahship. The Messiah, that's what Son of Man was alluding to. So if we looked at that passage, I'll just read it to you. Daniel 7, 13, 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. You notice every nation. This is Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. And it's saying the peoples of every nation, men of every language, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Well, if they knew that passage, which I believe they did, when he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, I'm thinking that there might have been a little bit of talk and chatter going on in that room. But when they heard that, I bet it went quiet. Or it either went quiet because they were, well, what did he say? Did he, just, did he just repeat Daniel to us? Either it went silent so they could figure out what he's saying, or they were rejoicing. And I think it's the latter, actually. I think they rejoiced. They're like, whoa, it's about to happen, man. We're about to throw Rome out of here. He's about to set his kingdom up. We're about to get the physical kingdom that we've been wanting. We're about to take over. So they probably went, 
Woo! This is great. You might have heard a few Pentecostal shouts in that room. Something that this audience is not familiar with. But I mean, I think they probably got pretty excited. Those disciples are going, hey, we've been walking with him for three years and we're finally at the day. We've been hearing about a kingdom and now the hour is now. Woo! That's like the best trip to Disneyland right around the corner. I know, I know. You guys don't like Disneyland. That's okay. That was short-lived, though. That excitement was very short-lived. Because the next verse, he talks about something different. So let's read verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. The shell itself has to die. And they, they say when you take a kernel of wheat and put it in the ground and put dirt on it and water it, it rots. The shell actually rots away. But then inside of that is a living seed. And then what happens? It remains alone. But if it dies, if it does die, if that shell rots and that seed comes out, that very innermost part of the seed comes out, it bears much fruit. And when Christ is talking about himself, we're talking about much fruit. You could put any number on that you want to, and you'd be accurate, because much fruit can mean any number. And I'm glad he didn't try, I'm glad he didn't put a number on it, because it gives hope for those who don't know him yet. Oh, aren't you glad he's patient? Aren't you glad he's patient? Second Peter said there's salvation in his patience. Oh, if he hadn't been patient, I would have never made it. If he hadn't been patient, you never would have met him. He could have come back before you were, ever had an opportunity. But in his patience, there's salvation. This was an absolutely shocking statement. Can you imagine the emotions? Whoa, we're about to get the kingdom set up. What do you, what do you mean you're dying? Because it was an agricultural term and they all understood it. They understood what he was talking about. They're like, whoa, what, what? The son of man, according to Daniel, says, you're going to live forever. You're going to have a dominion forever. What in the world? The Son of Man would be glorified not through conquering the Romans, but through his death and resurrection. He wasn't going to be receiving the glory of men by taking and winning a battle, throwing Rome out of the area. He's going to win this battle by conquering death. He's going to die on a cross and be resurrected. The kingdom that he spoke about throughout, the, the kingdom that he's speaking about is spoken about in the Old Testament. It says that he has to die in the Old Testament. Isn't it interesting how we can pick and choose our verses? Isn't it? Don't you pick the verses you like when they say what you want them to say? I don't like those ones that rebuke me. Uh-uh. I won't get over here. Let's talk about some love or something. But you can pick out the verses that fit your, your dynamic or what you want to do. We call that taking things out of context. And, and they were right that Daniel did say that, but there's also a ton of things in the Old Testament that allude to Christ having to suffer. He would have to be bruised for our iniquity. It's clear. But sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. And in my case, a lot of times I only hear what I want to hear. I won't speak for all of you. And the work of the cross will produce much fruit in salvation to many of every tribe and every tongue. Look around the room. Everybody doesn't look like you. And some of you, I'd say, thank goodness. Everybody in the room doesn't look like you, do they? Some are different 
colors. Some are lighter skinned, some are darker skinned. You know what? When I stand here and I think about the body of Christ and I look at you, I don't see colors. Now, I see colors, don't get me wrong, I'm not colorblind. But I want to analyze that and say, no, no, I see people that are in the body with me. We're one body, we're not multiple bodies. When's the church going to wake up and realize that the guy sitting next to you that doesn't look anything like you, the guy with the big mole on his nose next to you, he's in the body. And he loves the Lord probably more than you do. Fortunately, the Lord loves you equally. Let me see if I can find a verse. I'm sure I can. I can't do too many because I've got to run here. But I think I have one that supports what I just said. And so I'll find that. Oh, it's good to be back at Valley Bible Church, I'm telling you. It is. I see some familiar faces. I see some faces that aren't as familiar. Huh. Look at this. The work of the cross would provide much fruit in salvation to many of every tribe and tongue. Look at this verse. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Well, let's go to 27. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Hmm. We don't like that language. I like the being first part. I don't know if I like the being the slave. But we go on. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for Many, many multitudes. I was just looking at some numbers recently, and they say we're either at 7 billion or approaching 7 billion people that live on the face of the earth. And they calculated, it was in Christian Leadership Magazine, they calculated like 1.4 billion are actually evangelical Christians. And that's probably a high number. So what does that mean? That means there's 5.6 billion people that he died for that aren't going to heaven right now. It's a need to be a missionary. Guess what? This is what God wanted Israel to be. He wanted them to be the missionary. He wanted his Jewish nation to be the missionary that would tell the rest of the world about Jesus Christ. And they rejected him. And so God comes in and says, well, if you won't do it, I'll get the Gentiles to do it. Thank goodness they were stubborn and wouldn't do it. Because that means we get to do it. My question to you is, are you doing it? Are you telling others about him? Are you witnessing for him? On we go. Verse 25. There's a couple statements in here. I absolutely love them. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. All right, so there's a couple phrases here that are the same. And it sounds funny when I say it real fast, so I'm going to try and slow it down. Those terms are he who loves, he who hates. You notice that? He who. He who. That is not, and Carolyn, don't you laugh at me. Okay, so he who, is that specific to one nation? Is it? Is that a terminology that you would say is specific to a particular nation? No. It's a general statement. It's to everyone. It's anyone who's willing to hate his own life. He who loves his life loses it. If you love your life, you're not willing. 
when you're not willing to sacrifice anything for others, you're not willing to do anything for others, you're probably going to lose it. Well, in this statement, you are going to lose it. But then he says, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now I want to explain something. Hate is not, oh, I hate myself, I'm going to stab myself in the arm because I hate myself. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a hatred that says, I won't do anything for anybody that doesn't benefit me. That's the, the terminology of this. He who hates his own life. In other words, I will put you in front of my own life. We will do one another's in the church. I'll give you the money that I have in my wallet, and I'll go home and eat soup so you can have more. That's the type of thing. I hate my own self selfishness. I will do for you instead of me. And in the process, I'll gain my own life eternally. I won't gain it, but Christ will reward me with that. Second part here, in verse 26, now that was 25. Here's another term. Let's see it twice again. If anyone serves me. You see that? The first five words. Four, four words. If anyone serves me, what must he do? He must follow me. Now, there's a promise attached to this if you follow him. If you serve him and follow him, what's the promise? That you'll get to be where he is. Isn't that what it says? And where I am, there my servant will be also. Can you, where is, where is Jesus at right now? I know he's in you, but where is he dwelling at right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. In heaven. And the best place you can think of here pales in comparison to that. But you get to be there. If you serve him and love him and follow him, you get to be with him. Wherever he is, that's where you'll be. Later on in chapter 14, he's going to say, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. Oh, we read at the funerals all the time because you know why? Because it's true. And it gives me hope. I need hope. Do you need hope? Do you need hope? And the second one, if anyone serves me, what's he say? The Father will honor them. Oh my goodness. The God of the universe says if you'll serve his Son, he will honor you. Now I'm going to tell you what this means. This means when this sermon's over, there should be a line back there trying to sign up for summer night camp. You laughed, but you should applaud that. It's the truth. There's such a promise with that. Oh, those of you who are served and feel like you're serving in vain. You're not serving him in vain. You're not. You're working behind the scenes. No one's giving you a pat on the back. He's going to give you a pat on the back. He's going to honor you. The Father of the universe, our God, is going to say, I will honor you if you will serve me. If you'll serve me, you can go and be where I am. Oh, my goodness. Transition? That's a transition right there. Isn't it? I'm going to serve him and follow him, and now I get to go be where he's at. That's a transition. Amen? Let me tell you another transition that you've been through if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Not even in the past. It just is for free. Ephesians 2, verse 1. What's it say? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. If you're here today and you don't know my Jesus, you're dead to God. You're dead to the Father. You have no relationship with Him. But if you're here and you've placed faith in Christ, you were dead. But now you've been brought to life through grace by faith and this not of yourself, a gift from God. You are now alive. What a transition. 
from death to life. It's a transition. Wow. I just want to read Ephesians 2 to you. Verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. Both groups into one. The Jew and the Gentile, he brought them together. He put them into one. He broke down the barriers of the dividing wall. I know that we have racism in this country and we've been having racial tensions in this country. I'm going to tell you, this dividing wall was like no other racial tension that's ever been. We've got God on our side. That's what the Jews were saying to the Gentiles. You don't have God, we do. How are you going to fight that one, people? That was a tough one, wasn't it? But he broke the dividing wall down. Look what he says. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Look around. Everyone in the room, look around. Those people are in the body with you. And God has reconciled us so that we can be in the body. Believe it or not, this is going faster than the first service. But I'll hurry. Verses uh, 27 and 28 here. I've titled this point, The Cross Before Jesus. The cross before him. And he says this, Now my soul has become troubled. And I was talking to Pastor Phil yesterday, and I said that word troubled means agitated. I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I don't like what I'm going to have to do. He's not rejecting having to do it. He just doesn't like it. It's agitating him. It's irritating to have to do this. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, he's not going to say that. Matter of fact, he follows it up with, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. I know that this is my responsibility. This is why I came here. Oh, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that you submitted to your Father. Thank you. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven and says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the people around couldn't understand it. Which should not shock us if they didn't know who he was. They probably didn't understand what was going on. And when you don't know who Christ is and don't acknowledge who he is, you're probably not going to hear the voice of the Father when he speaks because he certainly didn't hear and they were confused by it those that did understand it to be language couldn't understand what was being said so we have two groups of people one who hear and yet do not understand one who hear and are drawn by faith in that circumstance there. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It makes total sense to us. You ever wonder why people don't get it? Have you ever wondered that? Yeah, I, I definitely have. I thought, how can they not see this? It's so simple. God has done everything. He's done all of it. You can't do anything except accept the gift. Believe and be baptized and know him to be your Savior. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the baptism isn't part of the salvation, just so you know. But just to believe it. But look, we said earlier in Ephesians 2, that has to be a gift from God. The first group there is the ones that are who are perishing. They hear the message but cannot imagine why the Messiah would die upon a cross. They just can't figure out why he would die on the cross. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't read the verse. <laughs> now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, verse 31. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world will be cast out. My phone is ringing. Can you do something with that? hit stop or something on it. I don't know why it's doing that. But. Um, so, in that scenario, man, I lost my... Okay, so, he says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of the world that we're in right now? Who's the ruler? Satan. Satan's going to be cast out. Okay? So then he goes on, and, it, and I... And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. The world will come to me. I'll draw them to me. What does he mean by if I am lifted up? That's a terminology that says he's going to go on a cross and be lifted up. That's what he's talking about. If I am lifted up, it'll be in death that he's lifted up, but he'll be lifted up. He'll be crucified. It was prophesied that he'd be crucified. And that's what's going to happen. And he knows it. He sees it coming. And look, I think he's running toward it. He's not running from it. He's going right at it. Now he has his moments in his human part of him that says... Man, Lord, if you could take this cup from me, please do that. But yet not my will, but your will be done instantly. There was no delay in those statements, by the way. He said those right like that. It wasn't like he had to think about it for a while and then go, oh, well, not my will, but your will, Lord. No, no, it was instantaneous. And then the crowd answered him, and we have heard about the law of the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? They understood what he was talking about. How can the Son of Man, you're supposed to live forever. How can he be lifted up and killed? That doesn't make any sense to us. Well, because they didn't believe. They didn't understand. They, they only believed the passages they wanted to believe. As we pointed out earlier, they had the Daniel passage. They missed some of the other ones. So Jesus said to them, and this is what I want to get to, and then I'll stop. So Jesus said to them, in verse 35, For a little while longer, the light is among you. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. You ever been in the pitch black? Like total dark. You can't see anything kind of dark. You have no idea where you're going. If we spun you around three times and said, okay, go, you'd have no idea where you were headed. You wouldn't. And that's what he's saying here. While the light is here, who's the light? It's him. It's him. I want to challenge you with something. Are, are you in the light or are you in the dark? Are you in the light or are you in the dark? I hope you're in the light. If you're not in the light, come talk to me. I'd like to show you how and tell you how you can get in the light. We're in a dark, dark world that we live in. There's a lot of darkness out there. And you're the light. But we only have a little while. And it's going to be totally dark. We only have a little while longer that we're going to be here. I don't know how long that'll be, but I promise you however long it's going to be, it's only a little while. Compared to eternity, it's only a little while. 
while you have the light believe in the light you know why people sometimes don't share the light because they don't believe it all the way they're holding back they're afraid to say something to somebody they're afraid to tell people how to get in the light what did he say snatched him out of the fire tell him about Jesus why aren't we so evangelistic this building is filled and I don't mean with people that haven't been coming back I mean new people that want to know who Jesus Christ is they want to know how to live a Christian life because they just got saved last week because you witnessed to them you told them about the light and they let me tell you something when you're in the darkness and you don't even know it you're not they don't even know they're in the dark a little bit of light in the room lights up the whole room and then they realize wait I've been in darkness this whole time well they've been dead in reality so while you have the light believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light oh my goodness I'm so glad today to be a son of light so glad so some questions for you What transitions do you need to make? There's some transitions here in the scriptures that I see. What's some transitions you need to make? Are you, are you walking according to the light? Maybe you need to transition away from whatever you're doing so that you can get in the light. Are you serving the Lord? Are you following him? If you're following him and serving him, you'll be where he's at. If you're serving him, the Father himself will honor you. Are you serving him today? If you're not, why don't you transition into service? Let me tell you something. You'll never be happier. You will never be happier until you start serving him. I know that because I, for a long time I was saved and didn't serve him. And when I started serving him, I'm like, oh, this is what I've been missing. There's no fulfillment without serving him. He didn't save you to put you on the sideline. He said he had a work for you that he designed ahead of time. He had the work designed for you, Ted, for you, Phil, for you, David. I can't do the work he designed for you. That's up to you to do it. Get in the light. Please get in the light. Please act like you're in the light. I have a whole bunch more I could say, but I'm going to be done. Man, what a Savior, huh? What a Savior. Pastor Paul talked about him being a warrior Savior last week. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that warrior part, but I know he's my Savior. And I know that when he's on my side, I don't need any other warriors. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Well, I'm going to ask um, all of our middle schoolers right now. I'm done with my sermon, sorry. I'm going to ask them to come right here. Do I have any middle schoolers in the room? Manny, do we have any middle schoolers here? We, we informed you last week or a couple weeks ago that we were going to take a Bible offering today for them to, go to, uh, to be going to uh, junior high camp, middle school camp. And um, there was a nice group of about 20. Oh, here they come. All right. And um, what we expressed in that in our first service, and um, we, we had a, a nice response, was we expressed that there's uh, nothing we would like more than to see these young lives change for Christ. Uh, some of them are believers for sure, some I don't know. Um, but we'd certainly like to see um, the Lord. Yeah, spread out this way, kids. How many of you have been to camp in your life? How many of you hated it? Yeah. How many of you really enjoyed camps? Oh, man, we loved them, didn't we? We loved them. They were great. How many of you... What is that thing doing? Hit stop on that, please. Um, 
How many of you feel like you made some kind of commitment to the Lord at a camp? How many of you feel like you made a commitment? Yeah, yeah. And that's all we're trying to do here. We're trying to give these, these kids, these uh, middle school age kids. I can't believe that some of these kids are in middle school already. That's crazy to me. Um, but then what's crazier is I can remember Deborah down there was in middle school, so that's crazy too. But anyway, so we just wanted to take an offering so we can help pay the way, so we can take a little bit of burden off of, of some of the parents. Some of these kids have five and six brothers and sisters, and so, you know, we've got to help them out a bit. And um, so we're just going to take an offering. We have a, I'll be placing my Bible up here in a few moments, and um, we'll allow you to do that. And so we're going to, I'm going to pray over the offering and uh, say thank you to all of you for being here this morning. And if you have any questions about um, salvation, if you want to know who Jesus is and you're not sure what that even means, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God, the truth of it. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ and his willingness. Your plan of salvation is just incredible and his willingness to come, to take on flesh, to become our Savior, the Savior of the world. How we say thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you included the Gentiles in the plan. And um, we love you this morning. I pray for this offering, Lord. I pray for each, each one of these children that are before us, these kids, these young adults. I don't know what they want to be called anymore, Lord, but I pray that the right amount of financing will come through so everyone, not one child, will, will not be able to go. They'll all be able to go. And then, Lord, we ask you to do something miraculous in their lives, and that is change them for eternity. Change them for eternity through maybe one speaker or one counselor that talks to them, but something in the Word of God that causes their heart to sit still for a minute and hear the truth about Jesus Christ. That's our desire. Oh, we'll, we'll give the money, Lord, but we have to ask you to do the rest. And so we say thank you for being such a kind, caring God. And so keep these children safe as they go to camp. Give them safe traveling mercies. As, that's right around the corner. But we, uh, we just say thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to give into the lives of a young person. And, uh, may your blessing be upon them. May you bless the remaining part of our day as we leave here and bring us back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen.